printing human organs is considered a game changer in healthcare because it could save many lives. Already scientists are able to create and replace bone and soft tissues and create models to help doctors and patients plan for surgery. 3D printers are continuously advancing and it seems like the possibility of what they can print is endless. 3D printable ear is a step closer to being available to patients. We 3D print mini hearts. Print a thyroid gland. Human skin from a patient's own cells. Medical triumph. A young Brisbane man has received a 3D printed skull implant. It can sound like the tales of science fiction, but in laboratories across the world, printers are creating human body parts by using a patient's own stem cells. They're called bioprinters. You're listening to Think Digital Futures. I'm Marlene Even. Thank you for the kind invitation. And I am Dr. Carmine Gentile from the University of Technology, Sydney. I'm a lecturer at the University of Technology, Sydney. He is also the group leader of the Cardiovascular Regeneration Group, both at the University of Technology, Sydney and University of Sydney. What is 3D bioprinting? I always compare the, the process to a regular printing printing of a piece of paper. Basically, in a regular uh, printer, you would have your nozzle loaded with uh, some type of ink. You would have the machine, the printer, and you would have your piece of paper. Now, a 3D printer deposits layer by layer, but you would have plastic, a combination of plastic or metals or other material. With 3D bioprinting, we took an additional step and we investigated how to combine cells with a regular 3D printer that allows the survival and the use of cells during and after the printing process. Dr. Gentile worked in one of the first bioprinting laboratories worldwide by joining a lab based in the United States in 2006. Back then, um, explaining the concept of 3D bioprinting was quite complicated. And also because there were not so many uh, scientists that were working on this uh, technology. Nowadays, um, I feel like I can talk about 3D bioprinting even to my mother. During this time, Dr. Gentile secured the funds for Australia's first bioprinter. You can imagine my excitement on coming back to Australia and being able to, to unbox to unpack the the bioprinter here in Sydney. 3D bioprinting is an extension of 3D printing, except instead of using plastic and other materials, researchers use biology. The technology prints biological structures like blood vessels, bones, skin, and potentially one day organs. Dr. Gentile's research focuses on cardiovascular disease. We do know that a heart attack is fairly frequent in Australia and everywhere else in the world, with on average one heart attack every 9-10 minutes in Australia. 
and that's fairly consistent throughout the world. However, not every uh, heart attack patient is lucky enough to recognize the symptoms and run to the hospital on time. He says one out of four patients on average will develop heart failure. First, they have a heart attack that then develop in this failing heart that is not able to pump blood throughout our body anymore. Now, for these patients, the alternative, the gold standard treatment is a heart transplant. Now, if the patient is lucky enough to, first of all, be placed in a waiting list that allows the patient to receive a heart transplant on time, because in many, many cases, this patient, they die before they're actually eligible to receive a heart transplant. And also, while they may receive this heart transplant, there is the risk that there are so many other complications that the patient may die within a couple of years following this um, transplant. This is where Dr. Gentile's work with 3D bioprinters comes in. I am at generating heart tissues. Therefore, my bioink is comprising cells found in the human heart. And the 3D bioprinter should allow me to 3D bioprint cardiac cells. The heart tissue is printed using the patient's own stem cells, meaning that there is minimum risk of rejection, a key advantage compared to heart transplants. So imagine you, there is a heart, heart failure patient that is receiving a heart transplant from another donor. The patient will require immune suppression throughout the life. So... This technology, this research that you've done, creates this heart tissue, or I guess to to oversimplify it, like a heart patch. Is the idea that this would replace heart transplants in the future? You're totally right. So the, the idea is that the area that has been damaged following a heart attack is not able to contract anymore. And we found that by um, generating stem cells from the patient, we are able to recreate in a test tube contractile uh, cells that they are actually used in the, the bioprinter to create a contracting, beating muscle tissue. Therefore, the technology looks at creating personalized approach where we can 3D bioprint um, contracting muscle tissue that applied into the heart of the patient is able to regain that contractile function, which is lost following a heart attack. And as for the possibility of 3D printing an entire heart in the future? That's actually a frequent question that I, I receive based on the assumption that we do require a full functional heart to be transplanted back into the patient. Well, based on the conversation with the surgeons, we realized that this is not the case. He says when you think of the expense involved in using this technology and biomaterials, along with the time it takes to generate enough cells, the justification to print a whole heart just isn't there. We find that there is no way for us to say, yes, we need a fully functional 3D bioprinted heart for this process. 
Whereas we decided that generating a heart tissue with specific personalized technology, which allowed the covering of the uh, infarcted area, would provide enough support for this patient to recover from a heart attack. And that's why we are not really aiming for a, a fully 3D bioprinted heart tissue, because based on the conversation with the surgeons, we are not even requiring one. It's an opinion echoed by a research paper prepared for the European Parliament in 2018, which stated snappy headlines about life-saving 3D-printed hearts and portable skin printers might attract attention, but exaggerated reports might also raise expectations and contribute to the emergence of hype cycles that could distract from taking full advantage of the opportunities that are presented by 3D bioprinters today. Patching up a heart using a 3D printer sounds a little futuristic, and it's still in its clinical stage of trials. It's easy for us to get sucked into the so-called hype cycles of 3D printed organs, but it's important to note one of the applications for this technology already in use is testing pharmaceuticals. Our laboratory has been focusing on the 3D bioprinting of mini hearts that are able to recapitulate basically how the human heart would react to uh, to drugs in reality. So once we create the 3D bioprinted tissue, this re- recapitulates a miniature version of the human heart, right? Therefore, we, we are currently using it for drug testing in our laboratory based on the fact that we can predict the outcomes using, first of all, a fully functional miniature version of the heart of the patient. This method has also been praised as an alternative way to test drugs. That's because it reduces the reliance of testing on animals. Dr Gentile spoke about one of the key benefits of testing on these mini hearts instead of animals. That is, well, the biology of your heart is quite different to that of a mouse pharmacology, physiology, and, and pathophysiology of typical of these animals differs from the one typical of humans. So our heart contracts 60, 70 times per minute. A rodent heart may contract up to 600 times per minute. In his laboratory, researchers can test a patient's expected reaction to a drug by testing it on the 3D mini heart first. He gives an example of using the 3D mini heart to predict the toxic effects of commonly used drugs to treat cancer. There is a drug that is widely used for to treat breast cancer in women and leukemia and lymphoma in pediatric patients and this is called doxorubicin. It is very effective at targeting cancer, so that's why it is widely used. 
While effective at treating cancer, Dr Gentile says the same drug can lead to drug-induced heart failure, sometimes many years after treatment. Imagine the, a kid uh, that suffers from leukemia lymphoma, is treated today with oxyrubicin, and then he may or may not, or she or, or may or may not die after 17 years from these cardiotoxic effects. Now, what we showed is that if we use our um, mini hearts, we were able to identify these toxic effects using doxorubicin in within 24 hours. He further explains that by taking cells from the same patient to create the mini hearts, they can use a personalized approach, also identifying the proper dosage for the patient. We're able to identify whether the drug is toxic for a patient versus the other one, which potential therapeutic treatment could be used as an alternative, or whether the dosage could be improved for the same patient, so to avoid the toxic effects. And it's not just drug testing. The 3D bioprinters can also be used to test cosmetics. In 2015, beauty brand L'Oreal made headlines for teaming up with a bioengineering company, Organovo, to create 3D-printed synthetic skin, created from tissues donated by plastic surgery patients. It's allowed things to get to the patient faster, more customised and also at lower cost. So my name's Associate Professor Payal Mukherjee. I am an ENT surgeon and I have a special interest in ear surgery and ear diseases. She is the ENT, Ear, Nose, Throat, research lead at the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital in Sydney in the Institute of Academic Surgery. I've done a PhD uh, looking at the application of bioprinting and growing cartilage for ear regeneration. Associate Professor Mukherjee is using cartilage in her work with bioprinters. She works at the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, the first hospital in New South Wales to have a high-tech 3D bioprinter on site. They've nicknamed the printer Alec. Alec is a, is a specific bioprinter specifically designed for our project to be able to print a scaffold as well as um, stem cells that mature into cartilage together in one step. Her work is aimed at creating 3D printed human ears for people with deformities such as children who have microtia, an abnormally formed ear. 3D printing ears could be an alternative to complex surgery. We're using the bioprinting. It's, it's, it's still in research phase and particularly preclinical research phase. So the point of having um, Alec in the hospital is so it allows us to study cells a little bit more closely. Having Alec, the 3D bioprinter in the hospital, is essential as they are close to their supply of cartilage. We're using 
different parts of cartilage to study uh, that that we would normally throw away during an operation, but just to be able to analyze that tissue to look at the health of the cartilage in patients of different age and background and their regeneration capacity. Both Associate Professor Mukherjee and Dr Gentile's work is about creating individualized treatment. It transitions from a one-size-fits-all model towards a personalised approach. You know, 3D printing and bioprinting have been discussed as really means of providing very individualised responses to health problems. So instead of, say, mass manufacturing products, as is traditionally the case, with 3D printing you could really develop something that was quite customised to suit an individual or a patient in a healthcare context. This is Professor Matthew Rimmer, a professor of intellectual property and innovation law at the Queensland University of Technology. Uh, And moreover, 3D printing potentially has some applications in terms of making healthcare more broadly available. So there's been very interesting projects that have been trying to deploy 3D printers in uh, refugee camps and in hospitals in developing countries. 3D printers and all they promise is fantastic news, but cutting the green tape on this technology is harder than you may think. Professor Rimmer has been working on the regulation of 3D printers over the past decade. Is Australian regulation ready for bioprinters? Well, Australia's just undergone a bit of a regulatory revolution in terms of how it's going to deal with personalised medical devices, including potentially 3D printed um, medical devices. Um, The Therapeutic Goods Administration has been having consultations for a few years about revising um, the scheme to deal with custom-made medical devices. When the Therapeutic Goods Administration, TGA, originally set up the regulatory framework around custom-made medical devices in Australia, it was around 1990 to 2002. The technology capabilities were vastly different to what they are now. To put it into perspective, at the time the framework was set up, they provided examples of custom-made devices including glass eyes, prosthetic limbs and prescription lenses. Now, in 2021, researchers are printing heart tissues and ears, so they're in the process of updating the regulation. And in February 2021 of this year, there's been some new changes to therapeutic goods medical devices regulations to try to shift the way that we deal with these technologies. So previously, um, there were definitions for custom-made medical devices, which were exempt from inclusion. And I guess the concern of the Therapeutic Goods Administration was that those devices that fell within that definition of custom-made medical devices were were not subject to proper regulation. But with every new technology arises new risk, and there has been no shortage of that in the past. Yes, there's certainly been a shift in the array of technologies that are available in the medical sphere. Uh, I, I think another kind of important theme is that there has been 
issues around risk in relation to medical devices. So we've had some big controversies in Australia over mesh implants that had um, severe impacts upon women in Australia. The TGA had approved um, such products from Johnson & Johnson. And then there was class litigation um, in, a, in a range of different jurisdictions against Johnson & Johnson over the harm that resulted from those implants. And there's also been uh, some uh, inquiries into um, some ill effects arising from breast implants and degradation of uh, metal hip replacements. So I guess in that context, there does need to be a consideration of not only some of the benefits associated with 3D printing in the health context, um, but there is a need to consider possible risks. Professor Rimmer says it's important to assess the principles of bioethics and human rights when any new technology comes along. Because there are real tensions in this sphere between some of the commercial agendas of companies, some of the objectives of public organisations like universities and hospitals and the interests of consumers and citizens and patients. And I guess my kind of concern in terms of the process of law reform in Australia and elsewhere has been that there has been a very strong focus on streamlining regulations to assist technology developers, but perhaps there needs to be a bit more of a discussion about um, some of the various interests of patients, consumers and individuals who might benefit from 3D printing. And for Australians to benefit, it needs to be accessible and affordable. I, I think there's always been a lot of debate about the availability and accessibility of new technologies. There's certainly been a lot of research and development, um, both by universities and hospitals and by uh, medical device companies and biotech companies in relation to 3D printing and bioprinting. A number of those public and private organisations have taken out patents in relation to some of those technologies. Um, that certainly raises questions about some of the costs of using and accessing some of those um, technologies. And I, I guess that is a kind of an ongoing kind of discussion in terms of whether such technology is going to be available in exceptional circumstances or whether it's going to become much more mainstream in terms of uh, what is available at hospitals and clinics. That concern around access is shared by an ear, nose, throat surgeon, Payal Mukherjee. You know, really important when we start out in research, we want as many people to benefit from it as quickly as possible. What I'm worried about with 3D printing is that it might reduce access. So the, the most exciting thing about 3D printing was the ability for, you know, cost reduction to healthcare. She says that cost reduction is a very attractive part of the 3D printing technology. 
However, there is a risk that other factors could make the technology inaccessible. Particularly for 3D printing, which is a technology that's designed to lower cost, I hope that that the translation of or the regulatory pathway doesn't make this inaccessible for the majority of patients to benefit from. But also there's a lot of data collection that we have to do as researchers to make sure that we are delivering to our patients a value-based system. So it's not, you know, if, if we are, if the cost of healthcare just continues to increase, then that's unsustainable. And that necessarily doesn't mean that, you know, technology equals better outcomes. So we, it's up to us as clinicians to prove that that gets better outcomes. Associate Professor Mukherjee says the regulation could increase costs, such as an increase in the cost of software. A lot of the things that we used to do, which would cost nothing in a, under a research framework for the software to use, the regulatory process is expensive in Australia, so the cost of software is going to go up. She says software would be just one of the costs. Then the other costs of, you know, getting the printers and the whole pathway uh, has significant costs that's additive, uh, plus the labour costs. So the process now is suddenly going to become very expensive. These expenses could impact on the availability of bioprinters to hospitals. The issue that there is is, say, if you have a high-volume centre which does a lot of cancer work and therefore can sustain the costs of the the regulation, if that's got a laboratory in-house set up, it doesn't have the ability necessarily to provide the services to a rural hospital. And if the rural hospital that wants to do the surgery and the operation in-house, in in their centre and they don't have access and they can't fund the cost of having an in-house laboratory, they have to then get industry to prepare it off-site and deliver it to their uh, their centre. So what that means is that there, there may be a real cost limitation to access to this technology, uh, which will indirectly increase inequity in access to new technology. However, I believe that if we all work together, that there are ways that we can ensure um, uh, right now that as this is transitioning through, that we do not increase health inequity. How far away do you think we are from being able to use it within the hospital? Oh, uh, not at all, not far at all. I mean, uh, certainly think in the next uh, three to five years, we're going to be heading towards um, trials that are looking within reach for patients. And as for Dr. Gentile's heart patches. We are aiming to, to do some preclinical tra- testing, right? That allow us to quickly move forward in the development of the technology for the patient. And to move ahead with 3D bioprinting, many echo that it needs to be a team effort across different industries. Dr. Gentile speaks about the need to work with clinicians. Because at the end of the day, it's not going to be me transplanting that patch into a patient. And it's not going to be me looking for the specific patient to be transplanted with the patch. Therefore, we're focusing on further establishing this multidisciplinary team, which comprises the, the, the bioengineers, experts in biomaterials, stem cells, the clinicians, and More recently, also experts from the regulatory point of view that basically may better address 
all these implications for the patient. So while researchers are not quite ready to hit print on creating organs, the possibilities already available and the advancements on the way will change the future of healthcare. Think Digital Futures is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Think Digital Futures is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Digital Futures wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Marlene Even. Thanks for your company.